Today, we'll spend a few more minutes talking about legalism. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for joining us again on Preach Impediments. This podcast is made possible by EdenHollow.com. And of course, we would love for you to go over there and check out the things happening with Eden Hollow. I greatly enjoyed my conversation with Phil Robertson the other day, and I hope that you did too. And we talked about what is a pretty important issue, especially for those of God's people who are pursuing righteousness. Because I would imagine most of us, when we've tried to stand for what is right and stand up against what is wrong, we have faced accusations, we have been called names, we have suffered in some way because we're just trying to stand for what's right. And often the name that we get called is legalist or you are some sort of Pharisee. And we talked the other day about our definitions for that idea One of the definitions that Phil used was excessive obedience. And another definition might be the idea that you can earn God's favor by law keeping or earn God's favor by keeping the requirements of the law. And those ideas of excessive obedience or just an an unbalanced attention to law keeping is generally what brings anybody who wants to bring up the the law and what is right versus what is wrong, what is good versus what is evil, what is moral versus what is immoral, and earns them names like bigot or legalist or holy roller, or you can come up with all sorts of different names that are used to describe God's people. One of the names that most interests me and that I've heard most often over the years is the accusation of Phariseeism. Pharisees were a group of Jews back during the time of Jesus that were often presented as the the enemies of Jesus. They were enemies because of their hypocrisy. They were enemies because they were fake. And they would argue with Jesus when he would do some good thing like do a miracle, but he happened to do that miracle on the Sabbath day. They would try to argue that doing that miracle was sinful. And it's the Pharisees who accused him of doing miracles by the power of Beelzebub or by the power of the devil. And you have all sorts of different run-ins that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And so when modern day people try to accuse God's people of being Pharisees, it is meant in the most derogatory, the most hateful way possible. And so I thought it would be good for us to spend a few minutes looking at what it is the Pharisees did was wrong. Consider whether we are actually that type of Christian, which might be true. Some of the accusation might hold true for God's people today. And then at the end of the podcast, we will look at what are some solutions we can engage in in order to eliminate the problem of Phariseeism or legalism in our lives. 
The best place to go to see the problems that the Pharisees had is over in Matthew chapter 23. And we're going to read a fairly lengthy portion of that chapter, but we'll break it up and make points along the way. Our first verse is there in verse 13, which says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Here, you've got the idea in this verse that the Pharisees were standing in the way of other people finding the truth. Now, we can make all sorts of assumptions as to how they were doing that, and it could very well be that this is an introductory statement to the rest of the woeful statements that Jesus makes about the Pharisees, and and so the following statements will describe how they were standing in the way of people finding the truth. But without even having to go further, I think we can do some thinking and maybe even some self-reflection as to whether that is true of us. Let me ask you a somewhat personal question. Have you ever had the opportunity to share the story of Jesus with someone or talk to someone about the truth and you refuse to do so? You essentially shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in their face because you refused to tell them how to get into the kingdom of heaven? Maybe it was because of fear. Maybe it was because you were scared of being called a Pharisee. But by being scared of being called a Pharisee, you ended up acting like a Pharisee because you refused to share with somebody the way to get to heaven. When we do that, when we refuse to give people the, the keys or the maps or the whatever it is that they need to find their way to heaven, to find their way to Jesus so that he can bring them into heaven, we are being like the Pharisees. The second one's found in verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Oh boy, it's funny. This is somewhat opposite of the first one. If the first one is refusing to let people find the way to the kingdom of heaven, this one is you go to great length in order to help people get to heaven, but then you end up making them a bigger mess than you are yourself. How is it that we do this? Well, it's possible maybe sometimes we do this when we... we lead people in our own opinions, or we share with people what we think, or we give them interpretations of God's covenant instead of just letting God do the teaching through scripture. One of the ways I often see this happen is we tell people what they're supposed to think. Instead of giving them verses so that they can read those verses for themselves and do the thinking that they need to do in order to grow in their faith and their relationship with God, we instead tell them what they're supposed to think, what the right answer is, at least in our opinion, and then we wonder why it is that they end up falling way down the road. Well, it's because they haven't actually built their faith on the truth of God's word. They've built their faith on the truth or falsehood of my opinion, and that's dangerous. I cannot let myself become the standard of authority for someone. I have to point people to the scriptures. Number three is found in verse 16. 
And this is a little bit of a longer section here, verse 16 down through 22, which says, Woe to you blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath, you blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Here, you've got an example of the Pharisees making arbitrary rules and rules around the rules and rules on how to interpret the rules so that you can honestly be the only ones who even understands the rules. This happens all of the time in religious settings where we, we create all of these rules about how to understand the Bible and the correct way to interpret the Bible. And oftentimes our rules become the very authority by which people should obey the truth and and it becomes more about the rules than it is about the truth. We got to be really cautious about that. Oftentimes when we create rules instead of just pointing people to what the Bible clearly says, well then we're we're setting up a different authority than God's word. We need to be the kind of people who are willing to just say, "Hey, why don't you read this verse?" or this section of verses, and let people draw their own conclusions. Let people build their faith based on the teachings of Scripture, not the teachings of a church, not the teachings of a preacher, not the teachings of a class book, not the track on the track rack, and certainly not by our opinion. Now, those three rules that we just talked about are probably not as commonly the accusation that is laid out against God's people today and what causes people to call them Pharisees. But these next few absolutely are. Number four is found in verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guys, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. This idea of gagging on the small things while completely ignoring the big things is the perfect example of the concept of hypocrisy. And hypocrisy really gets to the root of why the the accusation of legalism is thrown about. Much of the religious world will argue that there are groups of God's people who are so set on certain ideas as minuscule as the world looks at those ideas, and they will try to say that that Christians have forgotten about the, the bigger matters of worrying about people's safety or being supportive of people in their their poverty, or whether 
uh, Christians are out there serving in their communities and doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. You know, they'll get very caught up in rules about worship and whether worship should be contemporary or whether that should be something that is more traditional. And they argue about things that don't matter while neglecting the bigger things of life. And I think we need to be very careful about that because there can be some truth to that. If we are more concerned about the definition of a word than we are about applying the lesson and the principle that that word is used to teach us, well, then we're being Pharisees. We're being Pharisees if we are more concerned about our worship practices and not about the God whom we're worshiping. We need to make sure that we're not working to strain out a gnat, but swallowing a camel. And in case you don't understand what that phrase means, it is a phrase that refers back to Jewish law. Both a gnat and a camel were both considered to be unclean and unfit for consumption. So what the Jewish people would do, or the accusation here that Jesus is making, is that they will go to great length to lay a cloth across their, their glass of wine so that no bugs would fly down into the glass of wine. And they would even drink their wine as it was filtered through sort of like a cheesecloth of sort that they had laid across their glass to keep the gnats out. But then they're eating a camel steak. And he's showing the disconnect between being so concerned about straining out that gnat from their wine glass and not concerned at all about the large, juicy camel steak on their, on their plate. Well, we don't need to be that way. Uh, we need to, as he said here, do the former and the latter. Uh, we need to strain out the gnat and avoid eating the camel if we were Jews under that law. Or for us today, we need to be concerned not just about the small rules and the type of worship and the way that we do things, but also be concerned about showing justice and mercy and faithfulness, showing love and compassion to our communities, and being the kind of Christians that the world knows Christ would want us to be. Problem number five that identifies us as Pharisees is found in verse 25 and 26. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. I think the idea here is this idea of caring more about appearances or caring more about what people think than we do about the actual truth or more about, about what the world thinks about us than we care about what God thinks about us. It's like having the outside of a cup that looks so shiny and bright, but inside it's full of nastiness. Well, we want the world to look at this nice cup that we're drinking out of, but in reality, we're poisoning ourselves with the filth that's on the inside. And I think sometimes we can do that in our own lives. We can be so concerned about what we look like to the community, what we look like to our fellow brothers and sisters, what we look like to our neighbors. We want everybody to think we're perfect, but inside we're broken and we're hurting and we're unwilling to come and get the help that we need from our brothers and sisters. We're unwilling to take our sins to God because we are so concerned about what the world thinks or what other people might, might, might 
say about us. We're, we're overly concerned about our appearance and not at all concerned about God's approval. Problem number six, found in verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but in the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Similarly to our last point, caring too much about what people think about us. Here, Jesus takes it a step further. He says, essentially, when we care more about our appearances, what we end up becoming is dead on the inside and we end up refusing to deal with the spiritual death that we have. Oh, what a problem that is when we are more concerned about what the world or what are the people around us think about us and we are dying on the inside. Let that not be us. One of the ways I think we see that most often is in the traditional invitation or altar call that is offered at the end of services. Well, I know for a fact, being a preacher, talking to people that I talk to, uh, sharing with people my problems and having people share their problems with me, that in every audience of God's people, when a sermon is delivered, there are multiple people who are in need of prayer, who are in need of salvation, who are in need of comfort, and they all just stay seated. Or they stay in place and they never come and ask for help because they care so much about what people think about them. They care so much that people will think less of them or think that they're insufficient or, or incapable and, or, or not perfect and they're dying. Let that not be us. One more lesson that Jesus teaches about these Pharisees is found in verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part in them with them in shedding the blood of prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Ultimately, one of the last problems, and probably the most important problem, and prevalent problem, and the problem that most often prevents Phariseeism from ever correcting itself, is the problem of pride. When we view ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And it's like Paul said over in Romans 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Do you see that? Do not think more highly of yourself than you should think. Instead, think as God has given to you. So what is the solution to Phariseeism if we see little hints and pieces of that in our own lives? Because I imagine most of us do. God's people, because we are people, And because we fail, this is one of the ways we fail often. And this is not a problem that is attached to one particular denomination or non-denomination. This is a problem that has attached itself to humans. And therefore, it is something we all will struggle with at some point or another. Well, the solution is pretty simple. 
I, I find it in this very popular passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. The solution to Phariseeism is to stop seeking things for yourself and start seeking things for the kingdom. The solution to Phariseeism is to stop trying to uh, win God's favor by your own righteousness and start seeking his righteousness. The solution to Phariseeism is to stop looking at the world around you as if what they think matters and to start looking to God because it's what he thinks that matters. Go to God for accolades. Go to God for approval. Go to God for acceptance. And if we will seek a relationship with God on God's terms for God's glory, we will do well. Will there be times when people still accuse us of Phariseeism? Probably. But when they do happen, we just say, praise God, because all that I do is for him and for his glory. I hope this podcast has been helpful to you, and I hope it has maybe challenged the way you think about your own faith, think about your own walk with God, think about your own uh, pursuit of righteousness. If we're doing what we do for our our own good only, then we're probably going to fall into the trap of Phariseeism. But if we do what we do because we want to bring glory to God, and our eyes are on Him, and they are on His will, doing things His way, because we want Him to be glorified, then we will do well. I hope this has been enjoyable for you and, and, and maybe not so enjoyable if there's something you need to fix in your life. And if there is, reach out to us. Let us know how we can help you or pray for you. You can find us at preachimpediments.com or look for us there on Facebook. Uh, we have a Preach Impediments page there. And if we can help you in some way, we do want to help you. So reach out to us. We will have more episodes coming next week. And I appreciate your kind attention. Until next time.